Of all the prophets there ever were since the world began, perhaps none were greater than the prophet Moses. And of all the teachings of the prophet Moses, this is the one he chose to be his last. I'm Mark Holt, and this is Gospel Doctrine. Welcome to episode 17, Beware Lest Thou Forget. This is the lesson on Deuteronomy, uh, specifically Deuteronomy chapters 6, 8, and 32, although we'll be spending most of our time in in 32 and we'll be talking about the entire book of Deuteronomy. Um, But first, I I think it's appropriate to talk about Moses the man, Moses the prophet, as we do in modern times when a prophet is taken from us, we talk about the teachings of that prophet, what his life meant, and some notable stories from his life. And Moses, the entire Old Testament, in fact, for Jews to even today, the entire Bible, the entire spiritual basis for their religion centers around Moses. And Moses was a significant figure, not only in the spiritual history of Israel, but in the secular history as well. He was raised a prince, but he chose the life of a shepherd. He lived 40 years in the wilderness because he had to flee for his life after intervening on behalf of a slave. He, uh, as, as it says in the New Testament, he was he chose... He despised the pleasures of Egypt, and he chose instead to identify with the the slave people of Israel because he chose to follow God. He chose to believe in God, not knowing fully who God even was. And it was in the wilderness that he became acquainted with God and where he saw the visions that he would later reveal to us. Through Moses, we know everything about the creation, the fall, our first parents, all of the line of prophets, the line of what Abraham called the fathers, down to Noah and beyond, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of these things were revealed to us through Moses. In addition, uh, through the prophet Joseph Smith, we have revealed the book of Moses, which is goes even more in depth into all the wonderful things that Moses saw about the future. He saw all of us. He saw our world and revealed a great deal of it. He witnessed the entire earthly family of man, and he saw the creations of God. He saw their number beyond this world. So what is the book of Deuteronomy? The book of Deuteronomy is kind of like, for, for to give it an LDS perspective, it is the equivalent of Mosiah chapters 2 through 5, where King Benjamin knows he's going to die, and he calls all the people together in front of the temple, and they all pitch their tents, and he has a big tower erected, and then he says, my frame is trembling at this time that I can support myself because... Uh, I'm such an old man, and I'm very soon gonna gonna be gone. And I want you all to know everything that the Lord would have you know. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. And even though 
it's quite a bit longer than those four chapters in Mosiah. It's, it's really only just a few sermons of Moses. Uh, the, there are three sermons that Moses delivers, and then he, the Lord tells him, go up on Mount Nebo, Nebo tomorrow and you're going to die. Now, in modern revelation, in the uh, in the Joseph Smith translation and other places, we learn that Moses was not called to die, but was called to be translated. And the reason given to Moses, you're going to die, Moses, uh, because you were prideful in one of the... Moses, in the wilderness, a couple of times, the children of Israel were without water, and Moses was called upon to smite a rock with his rod and... The first time, he did it appropriately, and the second time, he was chastened because he said, shall we, meaning perhaps the Lord and me, shall, or the Lord and I, shall we, shall we smite this rock and bring water forth from the rock for you, when really it was just God. So even though Moses is in one place in the book of Numbers called the meekest man of all men on the face of the earth, um, this was... Uh, a chastisement according to according to the book of Deuteronomy for his pride. And uh, we'll get back to we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about the likenesses of Joseph Smith to Moses. But what is so what is what does Moses choose to talk about for his final address? What is the most important thing that he would say as he's about to die? Um well, he says a lot. This is kind of general conference for the Israelites. And he goes over everything. He takes the opportunity to review everything that he's ever taught them and to bring a lot of the miracles that they've seen and the lessons that they've learned to their remembrance. And so the title of this lesson is Beware Lest Thou Forget. Um, lesson number 17 in your, in your Old Testament manual. Which, and uh, President Eyring put it another way, Oh, Remember, Remember, that's the title of his talk from, I believe it's October of 2007, it might be April of 2007. And um, Spencer W. Kimball had a, and we talked about uh, President Eyring's talk recently, and President Spencer W. Kimball had a similar talk. He said, if there's one word that's the most important for Latter-day Saints, it's remember. And that's exactly what Moses is trying to get across to the children of Israel. So the first thing he talks about is the is he's trying to give Israel a, a preparation for resisting temptation. Um, he tells the parents, you've got to teach these things to your children. And uh, it reminded me of what Ronald Reagan used to say. He said, freedom is always one generation away from being lost, which means if we don't teach the important values that we have to our children, if we fail, if just one generation fails, it doesn't matter how many faithful generations there were before it. And the same is true, obviously, of the gospel and all of the values that attend that. Uh, so, what is specifically what is Israel called upon to remember? Now let's uh, let's go back in our minds over 
what happened during the course of Moses' life, starting in the book of Exodus. Uh, First of all, the plagues of Egypt, specifically the final plague that they were passed over, they were called immediately, right away before before the feast even took place, they were told this feast will be celebrated every year from now on. And before the miracle even took place, they were told how to commemorate remembering the miracle, which is very interesting. And that's what the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or sorry, not Pentecost, uh, Passover. That's what that feast is of unleavened bread. It's remembering the night they were passed over by the destroying angel because they put the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. So they're remembering that miracle. They're remembering the miracle of being allowed to cross the Red Sea on dry land. They're remembering the miracle of manna in the wilderness and water in the wilderness. Their clothing, and we haven't discussed this before, but miraculously, they had no means of making clothing in the wilderness. And so the Lord told them, promised them that their clothing would not wear out. And for 40 years, it did not, which is really interesting. Uh, I wonder... Uh, well, that may be a little secular concern, but I wonder how they might have smelled. Hopefully they washed it well, um, and maybe that was miraculously seen to as well. They also had a pillar of cloud at, by day and a pillar of fire by night to go before them. And uh, I, it's so easy to forget that miracle that was constantly before them every day for 40 years. So Moses gives them some some strategies to remember God. Let, b- before we talk about those, let's talk again about the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus is also a book of remembering. Now, if you if you recall when we, our first lesson in Exodus, we talked about how the book of Exodus begins with the forgetting. There arose a Pharaoh in Egypt who knew not Joseph, which basically mean that means that Pharaoh had forgotten everything that Joseph did for the pharaohs. And one of those those things, as we mentioned, were gaining great power and influence and wealth for Pharaoh by preparing for that famine, after which everyone had to come to Pharaoh to buy grain, and all of the wealth of Egypt ended up in, under the direct control of Pharaoh, thanks to Joseph's foresight and his management of the process. And so for a pharaoh to arise who knew not Joseph simply meant that he had forgotten. He was ungrateful. Then Moses goes into the wilderness, and from the burning bush, God says, I will remember the, I will remember the people of Israel. I've heard their prayers in their afflictions of slavery. Now, obviously, God was remembering Israel all the time. It's impossible for God to forget anything, even for a moment. And I've, before, in order to demonstrate that point, I've talked about how Jesus told his disciples, consider the lilies of the field, consider the, the birds in the sky. Not one of these can fall to the ground without God being aware of it. In other words, God cannot forget any of his creations. And in fact, if he could, he wouldn't know everything. In order for God to be omniscient, it's impossible for him to forget. So what did he mean when he said, I will, I will now remember Israel? What he means is, I have chosen to listen. And then later on, he, before he even 
performs the miracle of the Passover, God institutes this Feast of Unleavened Bread as a remembrance, as a memorial to the miracle, so that they will always remember. And those two things taken together, God telling Moses that he has chosen now to remember, or that he 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 now remembers Israel, now that they're pray, praying out of their tribulation, and commanding the fast, the feast of unleavened bread. God is teaching Israel that remembering is a choice. And this, for me, brings up a personal story. It's a very interesting story for me. And if you know me well, uh, you've you've per- perhaps heard me tell it. But when I was in junior high school. I used to take the bus to school every day and I would often be late for the bus and it was really embarrassing for me if I were half a block let's say from the bus stop the the bus driver lady would stop and wait and I would have to walk that last half a block as everyone watched me do it and I'd run up and I'd get into the bus sweaty and out of breath and and feel really silly that I'd made everyone wait and so one day I'm getting close to the bus stop, and I see the bus pass by half a block in front of me, or I hear it coming, and I know that any second it's going to pass by half a block in front of me, and the bus driver's going to stop, and so I threw myself into the bushes so that she wouldn't see me, and I'd had this happen before. If I missed the bus, and sometimes I wasn't even that close. Sometimes I was so far away that the bus driver, if she saw me, wouldn't stop, and and in any case, uh I'd had this happen before. I'd go home, and if my dad hadn't left for work yet, then he would take me to school. And uh, so one day, this happened to me, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to run for the bus, so I, I hid from the bus driver, and then I went home. And I don't. I don't know why my dad chose this particular day to to do this, but in the past he'd written a note where he said, "Please excuse Mark's tardiness," and um, so I asked him for a note. And my dad on this day wrote, please excuse Mark's tardiness. He chose to miss the bus. And I I said, Dad, what are you doing? You can't write that. Nobody's going to take this note. And he's like, well, why, you know, that you should have thought of that before you chose to miss the bus. And I said, what do you mean? I didn't choose to miss the bus. I was just late for the bus. And he said, you mean to tell me that if I'd given you $10,000 yesterday, to be on that bus that you wouldn't have been able to do it. And I, even though I was a know-it-all teenager, as you may imagine, I sat there with an open mouth and couldn't think of a word in the world to say. My dad had totally stumped me and I was speechless. And I've always remembered that because, of course, I chose to miss the bus. But as a kid, I, I didn't really think about the fact that those things were under my control, and obviously if I wanted to be on the bus, I could have. And that's what God is trying to teach us. God, our Father, is is teaching this same lesson. If you forget, then you chose to forget. If you forget all the lessons, if you forget all the miracles, if you forget the blessings, then you chose to do it. And I'm commanding you to remember. And it's not just a question of you saying, okay, fine, I'll remember. You live, I live in a state of eternity where I don't have to work to remember because I, I can't forget. But you live in a state, a fallen state, a state where in 
you are subject to time, among other limitations. You're, you're subject to the physical limitations of what your brain can recall. You're subject to the fact that you can only concentrate on one thing at a time. Therefore, for you to remember, it takes work, and it takes a conscious decision. It takes a commitment. So throughout the book of Deuteronomy, first Moses will remind the Israelites of some blessing that they've received from God. And those, some of those we've mentioned, the blessings that re, they receive, constant miracles. And in fact, the, in the case of the pillar of, of fire, daily miracles, daily proof of God's existence, of the fact that he had chosen the Jews. So he reminds them of all of these, these happenings that have happened. And then, and then he tells them, here is how you will remember. And let's go over what some of those are. First of all, there's the fe- the festivals or the feasts. Um, one of them, as we mentioned, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover. But then the Festival of Weeks, also in the New Testament called Pentecost, which is five weeks after the, after the Passover, the, the first time you thrust your sickle to reap your corn, as it's called, uh, although it's any type of grain, then you then you will celebrate the feast of of weeks, and that's the first fruits. And then the final harvest is the, called the Feast of Tabernacles, and that's a week long festival. And on each of these occasions, all all of the males of Israel were to appear before the Lord in the place that He designated, or that was designated by the prophet. And as the while the nation of Israel was a nation of nomads, this tabernacle that Moses had constructed, this tent that became a temple, was mobile. And so it it followed them through the wilderness of Sinai, but it also had certain places where it would reside for a period of time, in Shiloh and other places. And then when it wasn't until King David conquered the Jebusites in Israel, or in Jerusalem, that Uh, And then that the tabernacle was brought to Jerusalem and eventually the temple was constructed on a permanent basis by Solomon. And no matter where it was, but at this time they didn't know that was coming and God said, wherever you're commanded to show up, you've got to be there three times a year. And so this is why Jesus Jesus was always in Jerusalem teaching is because he was following the commandment. You, You have to go to Jerusalem often because that's where the temple is. And he took advantage of those occasions to teach uh, the lessons he'd been called on to teach. So the festivals are one way to remember. Um, there's also the saying that the law, the law shall be bound to your frontlets. And that's a little strip of paper. And in the, in the New Testament, Jesus gets after the Pharisees for enlarging their phylacteries which starts with a PH if you want to look it up, P-H-Y, phylacteries. And that is a little box with a leather strap going out from either side of it that can be wrapped around your arm several times. And it has four verses of Scripture on it. And these are four verses of Scripture that um, they come, one of, two of them come from the book of Exodus and two of them come here from Moses' speech about what to remember. And... Um, then there's another phylactery that 
actually binds to the t to the front of the forehead right between the eyes and that is obviously something you can't forget if you've got this this little box containing scripture right in front of your eyes but also it would be it would be bound to your gates and if you know any Jews any any orthodox Jews they probably have what's called a mezuzah on their uh on the threshold of their door and they they might kiss it as they walk into kiss their hand and touch it as they walk into their house and out of their house and it's a it contains a tiny scroll with scriptures that um are that instruct the israelites to remember god so that's that's another way and then um we haven't we didn't discuss the book of leviticus and and uh, I hope to do a, a special episode on the Law of Moses and the sacrifices that were required. But the temple sacrifices were another way in which they were to remember God. They were to give of their substance in those sacrifices. Um, and in fact, they're, they're called upon in the same verse where they're called upon to appear three times a year. They're also called upon to give generously. Uh, they will sacrifice according as the Lord has blessed them. So if, if they're a wealthy Jew, a wealthy Israelite, then they will, they perhaps would sacrifice a bullock or a ram or a sheep. And as you may remember, uh, Jesus's parents were so poor that they bought some doves. So the, the sacrifice depended on how you had been blessed. Um, obviously the Sabbath day was a, and in fact, uh, God commanded this as a day of remembrance, but obviously that was a weekly remind, reminder. So if you, if you go back to the 20th chapter of Exodus and read that particular commandment, it's not just a commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy, but to remember God on that day. And finally, God gives a, a way to remember. God gives the thirty-second chapter of Deuteronomy, and this chapter is pretty incredible. Um, first of all, or or most of the chapter, the first two thirds of it, let's say, is a poem. It's called the song, the Song of Moses, but it's actually written by God directly. The words were given to Moses by God. And, Mo and God commands Moses, teach this song to the Israelites. And God prophesies that uh, this song will not be forgetten, forgotten. And so in the day, when the day comes that you Israelites, and, and God basically tells the Israelites, you're going to forget me. But when that day comes, you won't have an excuse because you will remember this song. And in this song, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen if you forget me. And it's not going to be good. Um, so the, it, it's just a fascinating song, and it has several parts that we'll go over. And it's, um, it's, more, it's more evidence of the distinctiveness of Moses' calling, because in it, are indications of every every major development in the history of Israel from the time of them crossing into the promised land 
until the final redemption and the day of judgment. There are little hints of it. Um, and from a, it helps to have a latter-day perspective because there are a lot of verses in there that could have more than one, well, that do have more than one interpretation, but that are that uh, latter-day revelation sheds additional light on. Finally, uh, God, throughout the the book of Deuteronomy, and I, I like reading these scriptures on my iPad because I can just swipe to go from one chapter to the next, but obviously you can just turn the page and read the chapter headings. And you can see that um, in some cases, for example, the that God is telling through Moses, he's telling the Israelites, you have to observe the law of tithing. Um, that every seven years you will forgive all debts and release all slaves. And uh, like I mentioned, that uh, that if you're a male, you'll re- appear three times before the Lord and renew your dedication to renew your covenants, basically. And then they were taught to give freely to the poor. And all of these admonitions are ways in which God teaches Israel gratitude. So let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, in in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 to 14, God lists everything that he had done for Israel. And if you read it, it's, um, he found them in a desert land. He led them about, he instructed him, he kept him. And by him, he means Israel, which is a person and by talking about Israel, the person, he's talking about the whole nation. So when he says him, he means them. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Remember, we talked about a peculiar treasure or uh, his precious. He's saying that he, he let Israel be the most important thing in the world to him. Uh, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings... So he's he's talking about how the Lord has done everything. And that's the that's really the point is um and then in verse 14 talks about all the wealth, butter of kine, milk of sheep, fat fat of lambs, rams of the breed of Bashan. So the all the choice the choicest of flocks and herds and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat and thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. So all of the wonderful blessings of the earth that uh, a people, an agrarian people like this could hope for. Um, But also the nourishment of a mother to to her young and being led about and being protected and being made precious. In other words, God had given Israel everything and therefore they should repay him. Um, In verse 15, of chapter 32, God says, but Jeshurun, and by that he means Israel, but Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. And as you read that, it's not too hard to realize that God is saying Israel has grown prideful. They've grown entitled to the blessing. They feel entitled to the blessings that they've received from me. 
God says in this in the song of Moses that um, you must repay the Lord that He's bought you. And so that's what that's what Moses has been doing through the entire book of Deuteronomy. He's been teaching Israel to be grateful, and God is saying, in the day that you become entitled, that's when all of the problems will begin. So remembering and gratitude go hand in hand. And I think this is a good time to read a quote from uh, President Eyring's talk. The, oh, remember the rem- remember. Oh, that this talk is from uh, October of 2007. And uh, I want to read, I want to read one paragraph, but um, this is the story of how one day somebody did something nice for him, his father-in-law, and he was prompted to write it down. And then he was prompted to keep writing things down and to try to find evidence for the Lord's hand in his life. And then he talks about what happens, what happened over the years as he was doing this. He, he said, More than gratitude began to grow in my heart. Testimony grew. I became ever more certain that our Heavenly Father hears and answers prayers. I felt more gratitude for the softening and refining that come because of the atonement of the Savior Jesus Christ, and I grew more confident that the Holy Ghost can bring all things to our remembrance, even things we did not notice or pay attention to when they happened. So that's a quote from President Eyring, linking remembering with gratitude. And in fact, there is no gratitude without remembrance. So he was talking specifically about journal writing, but also about uh, looking back and, and recognizing on purpose, choosing to recognize the Lord's hand in our lives. And that's what Moses was doing. He was saying, look what God has done for you. He's done everything for you. And you have the duty to repay him. And all you have to do to repay him is not follow other gods. In the ancient... Um, In the ancient land of Israel, in the culture, or sorry, in the in the in the culture of Canaan, all of the Canaanites worship ba- what are, what were called Baalim. Baalim, I don't know quite how to say it, but Baalim or Baalim, the plural of gods of local gods with the with a lowercase g, and you may remember the story of Elijah and the priests of Baal. It's it's often called Baal. B a a l. And for a long time, it was believed that Baal was the sun god. And in fact, in my scriptures, which are the older version, um, and I believe that wasn't changed in the 2013 revision, in the, in the Bible dictionary, it talks about Baal being the sun god. But um, after they made the 1984 version of the scriptures, it was discovered that Baal was actually a rain god. And so that's why it's interesting, and, and I think... If you haven't been following along in the scriptures, this particular verse will be fascinating to you. Chapter 32, right at the beginning, God says, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the dew. Now, where have we heard that before? Uh, Joseph Smith would later paraphrase, or perhaps a better way to say it is, Joseph Smith would call our attention to the fulfillment of prophecy when he wrote, And the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven, 
Well, he wasn't making that up from whole cloth. He was referencing this prophecy of Moses. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew. So it's interesting that God is talking about understanding and doctrine being like rain, because the the reason that people of Israel would would leave God was because they weren't getting enough rain. This is the simple fact of life in the land of Canaan. They were dependent on rain for their very lives. And if there was no rain in a particular year, then they started feeling like Jehovah wasn't on their side anymore. And then the people that, that were around them who had all sorts of fertility festivals, which often involved sexual immorality, began to look very attractive to the Israelites. They're thinking, well, if Jehovah isn't, isn't getting the job done, then maybe we need to go to these other gods. And by the way, it's really fun to worship them. And so we're going we're gonna to succumb to temptation. And then once we go, we're probably not going to come back very easily. And that's what God was worried about. Um, that's exactly, and not only were they uh, worshiping fertility gods, but um, sometimes it involved human sacrifice. Um, sometimes, it, sometimes it involved cruelty. So there were a lot of terrible practices that were indulged in by the nations that already owned the land of promise. And God was trying to shore up. He'd been shoring up Israel for 40 years. He'd been giving them a foundation that they could build on so that they would be able to resist those temptations as they went in. But another another interesting thing about the dew, um, in the following chapter of Deuteronomy, and a lot of this, uh, a lot of these insights about chapter thirty-two are taken from one of the resources I mentioned earlier this this season, um, the Hidden Christ by James Farrell. So I, I highly recommend that book, and specifically chapter eleven about the book of Deuteronomy. But in uh, chapter 33 of Deuteronomy, each tribe of Israel is given promises. And Moses promises to the tribe of Joseph, he says, you will have the dew. And that was an amazing promise for them because it meant you'd, you'd have sufficient rain. And in fact, Ephraim became... One of Joseph's sons, one of the tribes of Joseph, there were two tribes of Joseph, and uh, just a small bit of trivia, the the tribe of Levi was sort of split up and spread out among all the other tribes, so it ceased to be a tribe. And a lot of times when the tribes are enumerated, Levi is missing, and in in his place, Joseph is given two, a double portion, because he had the birthright. So instead of Levi being mentioned, the two sons of Joseph are mentioned. And that still makes 12 tribes. Um, and so Joseph is mentioned in connection with the dew. Joseph will receive the dew. But in chapter 32, God calls his doctrine the dew. And that's an interesting insight for Latter-day Saints, because... It's prophesied for us that the tribe of Joseph, and specifically Ephraim, will be the means of bringing the gospel 
to the other lost tribes of Israel and of adopting in those who are not part of the tribes of Israel. So this is a prophecy. Well, let me put it this way. As we will learn in the in the book of Isaiah, a lot of times these prophecies are speaking about more than one thing at the same time. And so if you can keep several things in mind at once, or if you can read it with several possible interpretations in mind at once, then you'll understand a lot better what's going on, and you'll, you'll realize, oh, this isn't really that hard to understand. It just means several things at the same time. So um, in this particular case, it means one thing. He's just talking about, and, th- and those fulfillments, sorry, to go back, those fulfillments are often um, the spiritual progression of a person. The fulfillment could be your place in the plan of salvation, which the people hearing it at the time didn't fully understand yet. It could be a prophecy about the history of Israel as a people. And it could be a prophecy about the Savior. And all it could be all of those things at once. In this particular case, he's talking about what's going to happen to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel, to the house of Israel. But they don't they're not familiar with this history yet. We are because we've had, because to us it is history, and we've had the advantage of being able to study it in reverse. But for them, these are very vague pronouncements of what's going to happen. It's just, uh, if you when you forget God and you start to worship these dead gods, in other words, a figurine made of stone or wood, it's not alive. It can't do anything for you. And God says over and over again, if you're gonna, if you're going to worship it, then I'm going to lead you to it. And in that day, you know, God help you with a lowercase g, because I won't. I'm going to leave you to your own devices, and you're going to be scattered. So once you, so I've, I've blessed you. You have the duty to remember, and you're going to go into this land of promise, which has everything you could possibly want. It has the wealth, the things of the world. The problem it for you will not be staying faithful when you're in the wilderness. It'll be, and this is similar to something that Brigham Young expressed, a worry that Brigham Young expressed about the modern church. It won't be tribu- tribulations and privations that shake your faith. It will be the blessings of wealth and ease that lead you to forget the Lord your God. So we can look on the history of Israel and see, yes, they, as we read and, and as we'll learn this year, they go into the, into the land of Canaan and they have to be constantly stirred up uh, in remembrance by usually someone coming in and losing their military advantage. They will prosper and they'll be faithful and it's, it's similar to the Book of Mormon cycle, except that uh, there are a lot more nations round about them ready to, it's not just the, the Lamanites that'll come upon them. Everyone is trying to take over this land constantly for hundreds of years. So as soon as they forget the Lord, then the, the Lord takes away, withdraws his supporting hand, and it, it's not too long before they begin to be destroyed and they're stirred up again in remembrance and prophets come among them. 
and that was the the milieu into which Lee, Lehi found himself, uh, or in, into which we read about the prophet Lehi uh, prophesying, and then they sought his life because there were times when they just didn't want to hear it. And eventually, shortly after Lehi left Jerusalem, eventually they were scattered. And they were scattered again after Jesus. They came back from the Babylonian captivity. And about 70, well, about 40 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, and again about 100 years later, a more total destruction of the nation of Israel, and they were totally scattered. And then he says, when you're when your strength is utterly gone, then I will have compassion on you. And M- Moses goes all the way through the history of Israel from the scattering to the redemption to the gathering. And then he says, and then will everyone rejoice because God will make an atonement for his land and his people. And he says it sort of in a familiar sense. And in fact, the word atonement appears first in the Old Testament as part of the law of Moses, atonement is a day, the day of atonement, when the priest makes a particular sacrifice for all the sins of the people. There can be no doubt that Moses taught the meaning of all of these things. But, again, I believe that that probably came across as a vague, as a little bit of a vague pronouncement there's going to be a messiah one day and he's going to you know they they it was easy for them not to quite understand that he was going to come redeem them from their sins not redeem them from their oppressors because it talks so much about setting free the captive the old testament does the prophets do nevertheless i i believe that moses would have taught these things clearly and there would have been other prophets to teach them clearly as well um it just so happens that I I read yesterday Mosiah, I believe it was chapter 15 through 18. But in any case, it was Abinadi being questioned by the priests of King Noah. And they asked him what it meant in the book of Isaiah when he said, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them. And, and Abinadi was astounded. He said, do you do you ask me these things? Do you teach the law of Moses? And if you teach the law of Moses, why don't you keep it? But also teach the people the law of Moses, but teach them the purpose for which the law was given. And then he gives an amazing explication of why, of how the law of Moses points to Christ. And it's, it's so profound that there can in my mind, there can be little doubt that uh, all of these people would have, all of the Israelites would have understood that as well. Moses, Joseph, uh, in if you look in the Joseph Smith translation, Joseph of Egypt, in Genesis chapter 50, gave a prophecy. And detractors of the LDS faith find it easy to dismiss this because it it's revealed by Joseph Smith and it's very flattering to Joseph Smith. It compares Moses to Joseph Smith and says, 
uh, God is going to raise up a prophet, and his name will be Moses, and he will free you from Egypt. And then, again, in the latter days, God will raise up a prophet, and he, he will be like unto Moses. And uh, if you don't believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet, then obviously this prophecy is just self-serving garbage that a man wrote in order to get people to follow him. But let's examine then, how was Joseph Smith like Moses? So Moses took the people of Israel, when, when they became slaves in Egypt, they didn't yet have their own scriptures. What they had was the teachings passed to them from Abraham, yes. They had a covenant, yes. But were they all being baptized? They did, did they have the covenant? They had the covenant of circumcision, but were they all doing it? Were they all fulfilling that covenant? Did they have any of the things that we associate today with modern Judaism, or even the things that we associate with Old Testament or New Testament Judaism? Any of the observances, they didn't have any of those things. They did not exist as a church. And Moses took that people and united them by removing them from where they were and being their prophet and then writing those things down. Joseph Smith did the same thing. He, and and interestingly enough, um, you think, well, Joseph Smith didn't, didn't quite go on the exodus that the saints went on. Interestingly enough, Moses also did not was not called on to finish the journey with the children of Israel. He was told by God that he would uh, he would not see he would not visit the promised land. He would not set foot in the promised land. And Joseph Smith moved from the eastern portion of the United States to all the way to Nauvoo, and the people followed him from from New York to Kirtland to Nauvoo, and each point being persecuted along the way. It's very similar to the wanderings in the, that the Israelites had in the wilderness. And the only step he didn't make was the last one. Now, the last step, the last step of crossing the River Jordan was a lot easier for the ancient Israelites to make than crossing the plains was for the modern church. So the analogy isn't perfect. But every prophet that followed Moses, or let me put it this way, the prophets that followed Moses very rarely revealed something new. What they usually did was they clarified or gave more information about or expanded upon, or at least they, re they gave revelations within the context of one of the revelations of Moses. And the same thing can be said about Joseph Smith. The prophets that have followed him have rarely revealed new things on the scale that Joseph Smith revealed them. But instead, they have clarified or expanded upon, or at least have given revelation in the context of something that Joseph Smith revealed. And they both were men who, who gave us large, uh, large works of Scripture, large volumes of Scripture that we could use to worship with. So it is true 
whether or not uh, you believe Joseph is a prophet, it is true that he's like Moses in both of those ways. Um, and whether or not he's like Moses in the sense that he saw God and followed his will and revealed his will to his people and founded a, a church of God, I guess we'll all find out. But at the very least, even from a secular perspective, he is like God in the ways that I've described. Um, and so that's an interesting prophecy for Joseph Smith to make, not knowing before before he could possibly know what would happen with the worldwide church, if he weren't a prophet, before he could possibly know what would happen, it, it would be an interesting claim for him to make. Um, and it's also interesting that the the Joseph Smith translation, the chapter 50 of Genesis, talks about the Bible and the Book of Mormon becoming one in thine hand. That's a, that's a uniquely... Um, it's a reference. I shouldn't say it's a reference. The the verse in Ezekiel that talks about that is actually a reference to this lost chapter of Genesis. Ezekiel would have been ref- referring to this prophecy of Mo- of Joseph of Egypt when he said, "Take one stick for for Ephraim and one stick for Judah, and they shall become one in thine hand. He was referring to a prophecy of Moses that we only know about through Joseph Smith. But that in itself was one of the works of Moses, and he was talking about the, or he was talking about the same prophecy that Joseph would fulfill through what he revealed. He was talking about these two prophets. Moses would reveal the Bible, and Joseph Smith would reveal the Book of Mormon. So at first he talked about two prophets, and then he talked about two works of Scripture. Again, Joseph of Egypt is who I'm talking about. And so when he prophesied of them, he also prophesied of the Scripture that they would reveal and that they would become one in thine hand, and they did. Um, For me, the most important aspect of this entire lesson is is what I began with, and that is that remembering is a choice. Um, Sometimes, I was going to say, we hear this a lot from young people, and uh, maybe that's true, but I think all of us do it. We say, oh, I forgot. We use it as an excuse to our behavior that we wish we didn't do. And the 32nd chapter, well, the entire book of Deuteronomy, really, but the 32nd chapter specifically is God telling us, you forgetting is not an excuse. You cannot claim that when you forget something that you didn't make a choice to forget it because I told you everything you needed to do to remember. Now imagine the Israelites, they're one river away, and it's not a big river. If you've ever seen the River Jordan, um, you can walk across it without without having to swim in a lot of places, depending on the time of year. And it would have been bigger then, but um, there were plenty of places where you could ford the river without riding a horse or anything. You could walk right across it. So it wasn't a big barrier. They were just one small river away from the land they'd been promised for generations. 
And uh, in other words, they were on the threshold of a new life. And they were having a prophet. It was it was the end of an old existence and the beginning of a new one where they, they'd, been te- they'd been taught and they'd been preparing. And now it was time to go forth and be tested because they were going to be among these nations. They'd been told about the the nations that they'd be among, but now they were going to be among them. And instead of having Moses around to tell them and to remember them and to constantly chastise them, he wasn't going to be there anymore. And it's not too hard to put ourselves in that position because sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by things that make it easy to remember God. We uh, perhaps we're going to church regularly or we we have felt the spirit recently or we've witnessed a miracle or we've been writing in our journal and we can look back and remember the things and then we're called upon to go out in the world and we have to do it alone. Every day we might go to work among people who don't believe as we do or people who do believe as we do but don't don't keep the commandments or don't share the same attitudes about what they believe. Or perhaps they do share the same attitudes and that's the problem. And uh, hopefully that's not the problem. But if it is, that's even more of a of a likeness of us to the nation of Israel, to the house of Israel. And God is saying, you can make the choice. If you choose, you can always remember. Um, how do we surround ourselves? Do we, what do we have in our homes? Do we have artwork depicting... Would someone come into our home and know that we were believers in Christ? Would someone driving in our car with us and listening to what we listen to, know that we believe in God and Christ? Would someone hearing the way we speak every day know? Would someone seeing the the clothing we wear know? And I'm not just talking about the holy garment, but but per, but those things that we put on top of it. Would they would someone know by looking at your life that you're remembering God? And if they would, then you're obeying this commandment. At least a big part of it. And if they wouldn't, then you might be making a choice to forget. And if you make a choice to forget, God God foretold that Israel would do that. They would make a choice to forget. They would put their faith into something dead. And when they did, then he would withdraw his mighty hand and his protecting shield and his help. And when he did that, they'd be left to their own devices and they'd be scattered. It's a powerful testimony. It's just as powerful, if not, if not more so, than, um, than the scriptures we study so often in Mosiah chapters 2 through 5, the final address of King Benjamin, the book of Deuteronomy. And yet, as Latter-day Saints, we, we don't even know that. We don't even know the parallels. So it's worth reviewing, and it's worth reading this 32nd chapter especially, where, the, where, God, where Moses repeats God's poem, and he prophesies the entire history of what will happen to Israel, but also teaches valuable lessons about gratitude, remembering, and choice. I pray that we will, when we cross into our own land of Canaan, that we will take those remembrances with us, that we will 
even if we don't tie frontlets on our arms and between our eyes, even if we don't put verses of scripture on the posts of our home, we will find our own ways to remember. We will prepare, not just take the sacrament, but we will prepare for the sacrament. We will not just think about the temple, but we will visit the temple. We will not just hope that our ancestors have their work done, but we will do the work. We will remember God by making it a priority to remember and, and making the choice, knowing that we are prone, we are human and we're prone to forget, we'll make the choice to remember, to do those things that are necessary to help us remember. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This has been Gospel Doctrine, a nonprofit podcast hosted and produced by Mark Holt with bumper music by Kendra Lowe. Gospel Doctrine is not affiliated with nor endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.